Philippians chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 19, and we will look at verses 19 through 26 today. I would remind you that we do have the overflow area open. You can still uh, see in here, there's also a screen up if you need to get back there. If you're getting uncomfortable with the numbers in here or need to take your kids in the back, uh, you can do that. Uh, we're also so thankful to have uh, so many people um, on our live stream today tuning in. We had 65 families, not just 65 people, but families who watched the service last week with us. Uh, we hope to have them back here soon with us. Uh, and we also have folks out in the drive-in area. And so we're, we're doing the best we can as we move forward. And we're going to talk at the end of the service about step two of our plan to regather that will begin next week. And I'll leave you hanging on what that's going to look like uh, as we move through the sermon. Well, if uh, you were alive and in tune with anything that was going on in the world this week, I'm sure your heart is broken. Whatever issue uh, you are passionate about, angry about, sad about, it's hard to find any hope. Not only do we have to worry about a pandemic, now we look out at our world and we see such hate. We see violence. We see protests that turn into terrorism. We don't even know what to think about it. And if you come in here today and you think you have all the answers, um, I'm just sorry, you're wrong. And it's time for you to bow before Scripture and deal with your own heart today. Because it is so confusing and so chaotic in the world. But here is the reality. Jesus didn't, he never promised this world would get better. He promised the opposite. That this world would get so bad, we would long to get out. And for those of us who have begun to make our home here, and we like it too much, we're probably scared to death. And yet the power of the gospel flips that fear on its head. And in the passage we look at today, for the believer, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear this world because our greatest enemy, death, turns into our greatest benefit. And that this world, learning that this world can't be our home is great for us because we begin to live as Christ is Christ, and we begin to see death is gain. And we see that from the Apostle Paul today, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word for folks at home who are in your living room, if you would just stop for just a moment and remember whatever's going on in your home, that the word of God is our authority. For folks outside today in your car, we know you're there and we gather around this same word in these moments together. Hear the word of Christ. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. That in me... You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Oh God, it is true. We, we don't have the answers. God, we are hopeless and we are helpless and we are so confused this morning. In and of ourselves, we can't figure it out. But these words make sense of it all. To live is Christ. He is my life, no matter what I face, no matter what's going on in the world. To live is Christ. He is my only hope. And to die is gain. This world is not my home. Christ is my home. His kingdom is my reward. And God, I pray that we would begin to live like it. God, if you would raise up in this building a people who do not fear death because of a resurrected Lord. Oh, what would we do here in this city? And around the world. And God I pray that you would make it so. For your glory. And the good of your people. And the fame of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. May be seated. One of if not my favorite missionary story. Is of that of Nate Saint. He was a missionary pilot in the 1950's. One of my favorite missionary books is uh, The Jungle Pilot, which is the story of his life. And God used Nate Saint and four of his friends to reach uh, the Aka Indi Indians of Ecuador. Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Roger Eudorian, and Nate Saint, they flew into a small island full of savage Indians in Ecuador, and they began to preach the gospel to them. But, but when they got there, they were speared to death, and their story continues to reverberate to this day. It continued in the very beginning. Uh, for about 20 years, it started a missionary movement in our country where families began to, to move out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But before Nate Saint was a missionary, uh, he served in World War II. As an aviation pilot, he was a soldier in war. And so when he thought about mission endeavors, he often thought about them in terms of fighting a war, being in battle. And one of the lessons he taught was on expendability. That was the title of this talk he often gave to missionaries. When they thought about going out and preaching the gospel, and the fact that they may die preaching the gospel, he used this term expendability, expendability, and he often compared it to war. Listen to his words. During the last war, we were taught that in order to obtain our objective, we had to be willing to be expendable. 
And many lives were spent paying the price of our redemption from the bonds of political slavery. This very afternoon, thousands of soldiers are known only by their serial numbers as men who are expendable. During the last war, we saw big bombers on the assembly line, row after row, powerful, costly implements of war. Yet we all knew, we, we actually knew that many of those bombers would not accomplish even five missions over enemy territory. And furthermore, we also knew young men, many of them volunteers, who will ride in those airborne machine gun turrets. And their life expectancy behind those guns was with the trigger down only four minutes. Tremendous expendability. Signing up to go to war knowing you will fly over enemy territory and you will only last four minutes to be expendable for a greater cause. And here Paul talks he teaches us what that means for the sake of the gospel. The willingness to sign up and spend our lives for this great mission to be expendable for a greater cause. Remember, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, for saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is ultimate king, and Caesar is not. And on a Roman ship, he has been sent to Rome. And, and, and he is there in shackles and chains. And he writes to this church, the Philippians. And with great joy, he writes to them, even in chains, even suffering, because they have cultivated joy in Paul by the way they served him. And so he serves them on the mission field and he seeks to encourage them even from his chains. And he tells them how, how to have joy in spending your life for the sake of the gospel. Notice verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul, throughout this letter, he indicates that he seems to think he is going to be freed from his chains. He's going to get out of prison. He's going to be released. But notice why he thinks so. Through your prayers. Through the prayers of the Philippians who love him so much. The churches who are praying that he would be released. And then he says the help of the Spirit of God. Now we know from the book of Acts that it is the Spirit of God that is taking the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we see the acts of the Spirit of God in the book of Acts. And we see the Spirit of God cannot be stopped. And we see Paul's courage here in the Spirit. Even though he's in prison, he knows the Spirit is going to continue to move. And that's why he says in verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice the way he explains it. He says, I am eager and I expect that I will stand before rulers, that I will stand before judges, and I will continue to witness Jesus is Lord. Now, how can Paul do that? We know in Acts chapter 1, we are given the Spirit of God to witness. We talk about that a lot around here. We talk about being sent by the Spirit of God. And to be Spirit-filled means that we say, Jesus is Lord. And Paul's hope, notice he says, eager expectation. 
Now remember biblically, the word hope isn't just hoping something would happen, wishing something would happen. It's knowing with full confidence something is going to happen. And Paul is saying here, no matter what, in chains before whoever I have to stand before, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. Now, I feel like I'm going to be released. But even if I'm not, he says, with full, complete courage, I will continue. Notice how he explains Christ will be honored in my body. I will continue to lift up Jesus as king. I will continue to exalt him, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I think I'm going to be freed. But even if I die, I will still say Jesus is Lord. Because that's what the Spirit does. Paul is a picture of what it means to be a witness here. He knows in the Spirit he cannot lose. We've seen the Spirit bust prison doors off their hinges and release those who are preaching the gospel. But we've also known, even through the life of a man named Stephen, who Paul was a part of executing, even in his death, he continued to say, Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, by the Spirit, I'm going to do the same thing here. His hope, his expectancy is that he would continue to preach the gospel. And why is that? Well, he sums it up in verse 21. Notice verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let those words sink in. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ. By the Spirit of God, we live. We live for Christ. And we're willing to die for Christ. We even see die as gain. Now I've thought a lot this week about how to summarize what that means. We hear that a lot. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean to live is Christ? Well, it means that our identity, our life, and our mission become one. Because my life is summed up in the life of Christ... His work on the cross, His righteous life, His resurrection for me. Because that sums up who I am. My mission in life it is to be summed up in Christ. My identity is summed up in Christ. And so my mission is to make much of Christ. And it all happens in the gospel. So my mission is to proclaim the gospel. Now as a Christian, how is your life summed up in Christ? Well, first of all, you're a sinner who deserves help. And, and without Christ, crucifixion and death on the cross, you will endure God's judgment. And so you're one who says, my life, my sin has to be summed up in the crucifixion of Christ for me. My life is summed up on the cross where I was crucified in him. And so then what does your mission become? Jesus is the only one who can pay for my sin. So my mission becomes making much of the only one who has paid for my sin and proclaiming and glorying and having joy in the cross, making much of the cross. And so your life in the cross and your mission for the cross become one. How is your life summed up in Christ? You are a sinner. And yet Christ never sinned and he always obeyed. And when you believe in Christ, God credits to you a sinless life. 
And you are looked upon by the Father as one who has always obeyed. Your life is summed up in His righteousness. And so what does your mission become? To make much of Jesus' righteousness. To tell the world only through the righteousness of Christ can you be accepted by God. And your life and your mission become one. That's what it means to live as Christ. And when you live that way, when you say, my life is summed up in, in Christ. I've already been crucified. I'm accepted by God because of His righteousness. Then you ain't scared to die. You're not scared of death. You even say to death, oh, that's great. By the way, not being trivial about that, death is gain. Paul says death is better. My worst enemy is my greatest benefit. That's what the gospel does to you because I have my sins paid for. I've already been crucified. I've already lived the life that God demands in Christ. And so I'm not scared to die. Death is gain. It is a great benefit. Your worst enemy, death, has been defeated. And you can say death is gain. Without Christ, death leads to judgment. The judgment of God. In Christ, death is a defeated curse that leads you to God. God leverages death to bring you to Himself. God leveraged the death of His Son to pay for your sins. To, to, to make you accept it. And then your very own death leads you to glory. And Paul says, that sums up my life. It's in, in Christ. So I'm not scared to die. And we see in this statement, the way to joy. If you want to have joy in this your life, your life has to be summed up in Jesus. Summed up in Him. You have life for Jesus. God created you. Why do you exist? You exist for Jesus. Everything exists for Jesus. In the book of Colossians, it is to Him and for Him and by Him. All things exist for Jesus. You exist for Jesus. And so, to the extent that you don't buy into that, is the extent you're miserable. It's the extent you're, you're fighting with God's purpose for your life. And you're miserable. And so the way to have joy is to say, no, my life exists for Jesus. How, how do I figure that out? How do, I, how do I line that up? How do I strategize every day to say, this day is for Jesus. That's the way to joy. And then even as a sinner who's been redeemed, you were redeemed for Jesus. God has made you his own so that you make much of Jesus' cross, his resurrection, and his righteousness. That's why you have been saved, not just to be happy by serving yourself. God saved you to make much of Jesus. And so the way of joy as a Christian is to make much of Jesus. And that's what Paul says here. To live as Christ. That's my way to joy. Is to live as Christ. And the extent that you say to live is fill in the blank. And it's not Jesus. Is the extent you're miserable today. The extent you say today to live is money. You're miserable. Because you're not ever going to have enough money. You're not. It's never going to satisfy you. It wasn't meant to satisfy you. Christ was. And when you can say to live is Christ, 
You can be poor and you can be rich. And you can still trust God in Christ. To the extent today that, that, that you're living for health. Some of us have made health an idol. That's why in these days we're scared. And, it, and God is revealing to us that health is an idol. Now you need, I need to be in better shape. And I'm trying every day. We got to try harder. But some of us make health. Is somebody over here laughing? Grant, you're laughing. <laughs> but for some of us, health is an idol. And that's why you're miserable. Because you're realizing you can never, your, your health isn't very safe. You can get the news any day. You, you can't control that like you think you can. It can be gone in the blink of an eye. You live in a world that has fallen with sin, sickness, and death. But to live as Christ, you know what you can say? I can be healthy, unhealthy. I can be sick. I can be dying. And God is still good in Christ. To live as Christ. But notice it doesn't stop there. The person who says to live as Christ, they see death is gain. And to the extent that you say to live as anything else, you will see death as a problem, an enemy. You, you will be miserable in death. You know the reason you fear death? To the extent that you fear death is to the extent that you are summing your life up in Christ. That, that, it, it, that's how it works. When my life is summed up in Christ, I don't fear death. Those things work together. But, but if I'm clinging to something else other than Christ in this life, if I'm clinging to the stuff, if I'm clinging to the health, if I'm clinging to the things, when death comes, and it will come, we don't want to let go. Because this over here is not good news. This is my worst enemy. This is the most, this is the worst prospect for me. But if I'm over here living for Christ, then when death comes, guess what? I get more Christ. Bring it on. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to cultivate joy in Christ because I know when I die, I'm going to get more of Christ. The reason some of us lack joy right now. And I just don't want you to be honest today. By the way, I love preaching here. It is so good to be with you. I, I, I just had to say that. I had to get it out. Now we're going to make some changes at the end of the service that will make you really mad. So let's be happy for 30 or 15 more minutes. But, but let's just be honest right now. Let's just be brutally honest with ourselves. Some of us lack joy because we're putting so much confidence in the things of this world. And day after day after day, God is proving to you that it will not satisfy. That new gadget, that next vacation, those things, you get them and they don't make you happy. In your mind, you, you, you think Thanksgiving and a week at the beach with the family. It's going to be this wonderful utopia. 
And everybody's going to be happy and smiling. And you get there and the kids fight all week. And you can't wait to get home. You get a speedy ticket on the way home because you can't wait to get rid of all of these people that you went to the beach with. And then you long for the next summer beach vacation. Why is that? Well, God is teaching you something. He's actually prying the things of this world from your hands and saying, don't hold them so tightly. Open your hands up. Enjoy them. Look at them. Have fun with them. But one day they're going to be calm and you're going to have Christ. And that's going to be better. He's going to, all the little joy you get from those things, those gadgets, that, that family time, those vacations, all the little joys you get, even in this room right now, the joy of being together, all of those little glimmers of joy, they will be summed up in the person of joy who is Jesus Christ. And when you die, you get all of Him. And you get to be with Him forever. That's joy. So what God is teaching you right now is let go. Just a little bit. Even use those things for the gospel, but don't hold them so tightly. Or you're going to be like the kid when you go on vacation, and you stop at the rest stop, and they say, Mom and Dad, there's this great swing set over here. And you go over there to the rest stop, and the thing is rusted, and you're worried. Have you had your tetanus shot in the last year? You're going to get hurt. But they love the swing. They love the slide. It's one of the old metal slides that burns your leg and they just love it. And you say, all right, it's time. We're, we're going on down the road. Disney World awaits. Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Harry Potter Village, whatever it is. And they say, no, I don't want to leave the swing set. The swing set is so awesome. You say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to Disney World. It's the same thing that happens when you are clinging to the rusty swing sets of this world. And death comes and you say, no, it can't be better. When Jesus comes, no, it can't be better. But if you're living for Christ now, you go, oh, that's going to be a lot better. And you let go and you run to Jesus. i got to hurry up. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, he says to the church, that means fruitful labor. Paul, Paul blows your mind because it's like he really wants to die. But then he says, if I get to keep doing ministry, I'm going to love that too. But no, notice the emphasis. It is fruitful labor for you. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. I am between a rock and a hard place. I don't know if I want to die or keep doing ministry. I really love preaching the gospel, even from a jail cell. But I would love to die too. I don't know what to do. And he says, my desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for you. Notice the emphasis here. It's other-centeredness. If I need to keep doing ministry, even from a jail cell, that's going to benefit you, and I'm willing to do that. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your glory and progress and joy in the faith. I don't really understand why Paul just knew he was going to be released from prison. He just, he had that conviction. 
But he says, that's what I think is going to happen and I'm going to continue to serve you. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you. Now, remember what he's saying here. I'm going to continue to give you ample cause to make much of Christ. This is a man who has been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He has suffered depression because he's so worried about the churches. And you would think Paul would say, I'm ready to go be with Jesus. I'm done. Done. Ready to go. He says, no, I want to give you more proof that Jesus is worthy. So I'll keep doing ministry. I'll keep going to jail for the sake of the gospel. I'll I'll keep being beaten for the sake of the gospel. Because the more that happens to me, the more you see the value of Jesus. Jesus is worth suffering for. And I'll choose that for your good. Such other-centeredness. But notice Paul's choice here is not simply living and dying. It's not just, do I want to stay alive or die? It is a choice to, to live in Christ or to die in Christ. To say Christ is all in all in living or Christ is all in all in death. The choice between life and death is a choice with Christ in life or Christ in death. Paul's not choosing just some status quo life with no hell. I get to go to heaven, so I'm just going to coast. No, Paul chooses to make himself miserable for the sake of the gospel. I will continue to be inconvenienced because to live is Christ. I'm not just going to coast. If I'm alive, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel because that's your benefit. It's not just a status quo and I don't have to go to hell. It is radically serving Jesus until I go to be with Jesus. And the one who longs to be with Jesus will serve Jesus faithfully now. What will we do in heaven? We will serve Jesus. We're not just going to stare blindly into nowhere singing holy, holy, holy and be happy forever. We're going to serve Jesus as our king. And if you're not happy serving Jesus now, you're going to hate heaven. You know, you don't really want to go to heaven if you're not happy serving Jesus now. Because that's what you're going to do forever if you're in heaven And if death is anything other than Christ, it's hellish. And some of us have a hellish view of heaven. Because it's everything we want. And Jesus is just over to the side, maybe, if he even shows up in our view of heaven. That's hellish. To be separated from God, apart from Jesus Christ, in eternal torment is hell. But some of us would say, I'm okay with being separated from God and Jesus without the torment and just give me everything I want. That's still a hellish view of heaven. If your view of heaven is just streets of gold and everyone who's gone on to rest high ahead of us on the mountain, and that's all it is, no Jesus, that's hellish. Hell is the torment. And some of us, that's our view of heaven. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just blissful, happy thoughts in the middle of nowhere forever and ever. And it's better than here. No, heaven is about Jesus. 
And if your view of heaven is about Jesus, your life will be about Jesus. A Christless heaven would be misery forever and ever, and it would never satisfy you. And so the question is, how much are your thoughts about heaven really about Jesus? To the extent your thoughts of heaven are about Jesus is the extent you will be serving Jesus now. You will be living as if Christ is gain and then death is gain. If heaven is not about Jesus, your life will not be about Jesus. And so ask yourself the question, would you take heaven to be all you ever wanted without Jesus? Would you? It just made you happy? Or when you think of heaven, you're saying, oh, I get Jesus. It's probably determined by the way you love and know serve Jesus now. Those things work together. If you're cultivating knowledge and service of Jesus now, you want to go to heaven. And if heaven is gain, you will radically serve Jesus now. For the person who is not trying to protect their life, their safety, they're, they're not, you're trying so hard not to be inconvenienced. For the person who's avoiding that, the, 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 the person who, who they can't be safe enough, they can't, they can't serve themselves enough, they're, they are sucking joy from their life. It is this narcissistic, introspective view of life where I've got to get it all now and I've got to keep it safe and secure. That's someone who when death comes, they're going to be scared. But the person who's serving Jesus and you're just used to giving things away and thinking not of yourself, thinking about others. Heaven's going to be gain. And those are the folks that have joy now. If death is gain, you will begin to risk in ways that are amazing, almost supernatural. We read Paul and we think we read these words and we think, well, he is just some crazy Superhero Christian. And I, I would never do this. But that's Paul. God used him in a way he'll never use me. Well, the same spirit indwelled Paul that indwells you because of the gospel. To live as Christ and to see death as gain. And the same sort of risk taking that Paul had should mark our lives. If death is gain, some of us are going to choose to go to places where you may get sick and die. If death is gain, some of us are going to leave family and friends. And you're going to go to places where you may not see them once a year. You may see them two or three more times the rest of your life. But if death is gain, and you really believe that by the power of the Spirit, and you've tasted it and you've seen Jesus is good... You find joy in those decisions. Some of us are going to make decisions because we believe death is gain in Christ. They're going to make us look awkward. We're going to look weird. We're, we're going to be seen as outcast. We're not going to be those who are trying to protect every minute and every penny because we know and we believe something better is coming. Because we're living like Christ is gain and we're ready to die believing Christ is gain. I want to ask some of you to do this. Quit just trying to make it out alive. Because you're not. That's the way some of you are living. You're just trying to make it out of this life alive. 
It ain't happening. If Jesus comes, you, you'll be made new and resurrected. It won't be the same life you have now that you're trying to make your own and you're holding so tight to. You just want to last, make it last forever. And some of you are just trying to make it out without dying. You don't want to say that. But when you know Christ and death is gained, you let go of even your life for the sake of the gospel. On January the 8th, 1956, Nate Saint and his four friends were speared to death by the tribe they were seeking to reach. And then, soon after that, Nate's sister... And then his family would travel into that same village that killed Nate Saint and his four friends. They would go back. Why would they do that? To live as Christ, to die as game. They would eventually see the whole tribe come to faith in Christ. And, and they would use the story of Nate Saint and his friend's death. He would say, this is how much God loves you. He sent his son to die for you just like these five men died for you. And they would believe the gospel. And the man who speared Nate Saint baptized his son Stephen Saint. Isn't that an amazing story? Because he was willing to be expendable. To see that tribe come to faith and then to see his son come to faith through the tribe that killed him. Expendable. Some of you are holding life like a balloon. And you're squeezing it and squeezing it. And the older you get, you are pushing that air out. And then one day it's going to boom. Nothing's going to be there. Because this life is all you're holding on to. If to live is Christ, to die is gain. This life is expendable. What are you spending it for?